The gospel is being peddled there as far as the, the prosperity thing and all. And yet uh, we're blessed for people like Morris and Ida to stand in and, and to be used in such a powerful way. There are a number of ministries that they have other than uh, the evangelism outreach that uh, our church has been uh, involved with with them for a couple of years. And again, my prayer is that we would be people of vision. Uh, I I was talking to Phil the other day on the phone, and I said, I, I remember when Morris spoke at our church a couple of years ago, and when he was finished, uh, and Chuck, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I will. Um, <laughs> and when he finished, Chuck was weeping, because the Holy Spirit, and Phil said, I'll never forget that day. I said, I won't either, because the Holy Spirit is so profoundly moved on that man's heart. Here he is, in his, he and his wife in their mid-70s, going 10,000 miles to share the love of Jesus with people that will die a second death if they don't hear. And you wonder, why do Americans do this? Because God has given us great favor with those people. And there's more in all of that. I'm not going to get into that. But I just want to encourage you, open your hearts. Just say, uh, I, I, again, I love Isaiah chapter 6. When, when Isaiah encounters the Lord, and the Lord said, who will go for us? And Isaiah, without even flinching, says, here am I, send me. So not a guilt trip, but absolutely, I believe that God does things by design. And for our little church to have a, a, a small part in such a great work is a total blessing. So we're blessed. I have a couple of slides. I, I did this, this particular, this first one where it says Kenya 2020 Malava. That is the town that the church is being planted in this year. Uh, and thanks to Google Earth. <laughs> I got a, this is a picture from the forest looking towards Malava. It's kind of behind the name Malava there. Um, there was a baboon in the road, but I put a bigger one in. <laughs> it's way out of scale. He's probably half the size of a pickup truck. But, it, but it's Africa. I mean, you know, we're Americans and we want to see Africa animals and stuff like that. But I, I just wanted to share with you guys, um, real quickly, and, and, and then I want to turn it over to, to Ida. Um, the trip over there, it's a long trip. My wife and I have done short-term missions to uh, Southeast Asia and all, and, and I mean, it's a long trip. The trip itself is a commitment. Uh, from Portland to Chicago, 1,700 and some miles. Chicago to London, almost 4,000 miles. London to Nairobi, over four, to where it's just under 10,000 miles each way. You can't get a lot further places on this planet before you start... <laughs> <laughs> getting to the end of how far you can go. But the point is, is that this is, this shows you on, on the planet where Africa is related to Portland. And if the next slide, where Kenya is as relates to Africa. Yeah. Good. No, that's the other. Go one back, please. Um, all right. So it, it's in Eastern Africa. And, and again, many of you know this, but I, I just, I'm kind of a geography buff. I, I like to locate things. And so, understand this is on the far east coast of Africa, and then where Malava is is in, is in western Kenya. It's very close, not terribly close, but relatively close to the border with Uganda, and, and you've done church planning in Uganda and in Kenya, right? Yeah, uh, and so, 
just want you guys to have a just a point of reference as, as she comes up and shares with us. Uh, and I want to share a couple of things when we're done. But um, God's doing a major work. And it's not that it's that he he allows us to be a part of what he's doing. Like I said, it's not we're not compelled, but by his Holy Spirit, uh, these ministries go forward because he touches hearts, touches lives, and people are in that posture of saying, "Here am I, send me." Ida, would you come up, please, and share with us? Hello, am I on? It's like I'm on. Wow. I bring greetings from Uganda, East Africa. My name is Ida Ogenga, and also I bring greetings from my husband, Pastor Maurice Ogenga, um, who is not with us here today, but he is in Oregon and is visiting also another church. First and foremost, I would love to say thank you so much to the leadership of this church. Thank you so much, Pastor, for giving me the opportunity to speak to this congregation. Thank you so much for to the elders, the deacons, and everyone who is here. It's not easy for one to give you his pulpit to stand and speak. But because of Christ's sake, because of the love you have for Christ, you have given me this opportunity to stand before you to me. It is such an honor. Thank you, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. Uh, the reason why we came here, like I said, we come. I come from Uganda, but we do work in East Africa. My husband, to give you a little bit of what my husband is, my husband's parents were Kenyans, are Kenyans still, uh, but who left Kenya and went and lived in Uganda, and that's where my husband was born in Uganda because his dad was a fisherman, and used to sell crocodile skins, so there were so many crocodiles in Uganda. So he moved to Uganda to start hunting for crocodiles. He was selling them the crocodile skins, he was selling them to the Chinese. That is how my husband moved to Uganda or got to be in Uganda. So me and my husband, we are kind of dual citizenship. During the reign of Idi Amin, some of you have heard about Idi Amin, Idi Amin, one day he woke up and was like, I dreamt that the Indians should go back to their country. So he gave them 24 hours to leave the country. So the same he did to the Kenyans. He said he dreamt again that the Kenyans should leave. So he decided to send away the Kenyans. And that's how Morris's parents went again back to Kenya. But somehow after Morris's daddy died and after Amin left Uganda, Morris's brother brought him back to Uganda uh, came back to Uganda because that's where they were used to living and Morris has lived in Uganda all his life. In Uganda we live in the eastern part of the country in a small town called Mbale. Mbale is bordering with Kenya from the home where we live to Kenya border is a 40 minutes drive. So before we go into what we are doing like a pastor was telling you we are planting churches I would, I would love to tell you my testimony, how I came to know the Lord. I grew up in Western Uganda, that's where I was born, with both my parents Muslims. My father and mom, they took us to the mosque when I was growing up. We prayed five times a day. We fasted a certain month in a year. So my father made sure that we prayed five times a day, and if we did not, 
who were punished because of that. But growing as a Muslim or praying every day, five times a day, that did not change our lives. I grew up a very, very miserable girl. My mom got married to my father at an early age. She got married to my father when she was, I think, around 15 years old. And she was forced in this marriage because by then, according to their custom, girls had no choice to choose who, which husband to get married to. So as my mom got married to my father, after some time, my dad married again another woman. Because with the Muslims, they marry more than one wife. My dad married a second wife. He married a third one. He married a fourth one. And he ended up having 36 children. So I grew up in this big, big family. But you know, with the one man, with all of these women and so many children, life was not good. After growing up, I think it's when I'm realizing that maybe the burden was too much for my dad. Because, you know, imagine having all these 36 children, all of these wives, and every woman is struggling for love. So my mom being in such an environment, uh, she, because, you know, when the man marries a second wife, then the love for the first one life, wife will drop. Then as he continues marrying, you know, he's like getting even further. So my mom hated herself. She started praying more than five times a day, thinking that maybe she would win back our dad, but that was all in vain. She started going to witch doctors. And you know with witch doctors in Africa, when you go there, sometimes they ask you to bring a goat, a white goat. You know, they make it even life difficult. Because sometimes they tell you, bring a blue goat, a white goat. And you know, you are like, where am I going to get that white goat without any spot on it? Bring a head of a lizard. And how am I going to get that head of a lizard? And then they could tell her, okay, if you don't have it, bring money for us. We know where to get it. So she ended up spending a lot of money because she was trying to win our father back. But all that was in vain. So we grew up very miserable. Though my father prayed so many times a day, he could speak any bad word. We grew up not having this daughter-father love, you know. There was no that because every time we talked to our father, it was like a rolling line. He was just screaming. He called us names. He, called, he could call us Satan. I grew up bitter. I prayed and I prayed until I was like, you know, time came when I said, I think there is no God. And if he is there, then God does not have ears. That's how I used to describe God. By then, if you ask me, how can you describe God? I was like, like, if he indeed is there, he does not have ears because he does not answer prayers. So growing up in that environment with that bitterness, I was like, when I grow up, I don't want to get married because I did not want to go through what my parents went through. So time came when I became a teenager after school. As I have told you that I grew up in eastern Uganda, so I moved to, I, in western Uganda, I, I moved to eastern Uganda where we are bordering with Kenya. As I was working with my uncle in his shop, that's where I met my husband. Uh, the work he was doing by then, he used to buy goods from Kenya and bring them to Uganda, sell them to, to the shops around. And he kept doing that, bringing goods to our shops, selling them to us. And, you know, after some time, I was like, oh, I love you. I want to marry you. And I was like, wait a minute. You are talking to a wrong woman. This woman you are talking to, she does not want to get married anyway. So 
it was during that time he kept coming and I thank God that he did not give up. He kept coming after some two years. I was like, maybe since he's not a Muslim man, he may make a better husband. And you know, by then he was, uh, not really a Catholic, he was kind of calling himself a Catholic, but there is this cult going on in Kenya. They call themselves the Legio Maria. That is where he was going to church. So they were believing in this man who came up uh, like he was calling himself a Jesus. He's called Ondeto, something of the sort. So during that, that time, um, I got married to my husband. I moved in with him. After three months, the honeymoon was over. Him also, he was now a drunkard. He could go to drink. He was going out with other women. And I hated myself even the more. To me, it was like jumping out of the cooking pot and then you enter into fire direct. I hated myself. I was like, I made a big mistake. Actually, that's the time I wanted to divorce him. But I realized I was pregnant of my first son. So I was like, let me wait until I give birth. Once I give birth, I will abandon the baby with his dad. And then off I go, I start my life. I remember every morning I could sit with my neighbors. They were also going through, most of them, the same situation, that like the same way I was suffering. They were also going through the same. And we could talk about our husbands, how we wanted to divorce them. And how some of them could tell me, oh, why don't we go to witch doctors? And I could say they are also fake because my mom tried all the witchcraft, but that also did not bring back my father. So I was like, you know, when you are there, you don't know where to go. You are living that hopeless life. So it was during that time when my husband had a friend and they used to do business together still. They could go to Kenya, buy goods and bring them to Uganda. They could buy, I think by then they were buying wheat flour from Kenya. And uh, every time, by then there was a law in Kenya that you were not allowed to smoke kind of like in public whenever you were in a taxi. And uh, many times whenever my husband went with this Louis, who was the old man, he could remind him, oh, don't remove your cigarette. You will get into trouble. You are not allowed to smoke. But this one time, Louis did not carry any cigarettes on him. And Morris is like, wait a minute, man, this week you did so good. And was like, oh, I forgot to tell you something happened. Some people came to my house through house to house evangelism and they preached to me the gospel. And you know, the first thing I asked God was that he take away that thirst for smoking. And since I prayed to Jesus, I'm feeling like not smoking anymore. And then he told him, I will come when we go home, I'll come and preach to you the gospel. So Louis started coming to our house to preach to us the gospel. But I did not want to listen. I was like, I'm a Muslim girl, please preach to him. It's not about me. But again, at the same time, my mission was to, to change my husband, like to, to preach to him the Islam, like the gospel of Islam. How do I say that? To change him to, to be, become a Muslim man. Because me, my parents were not also happy with me getting married to him in the first place. So I was like, if I change him to become a Muslim man, then my parents will be happy. Anyway, so Louis never gave up. He kept coming, kept coming. And one day, he invited my husband to go to a night prayer. Uh, normally in our church in Uganda, we always have night prayers. Night prayer is where we go to church from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. in the morning. So that is where he invited him to go and attend. So Maurice that day came, Alan was like, you know, they invited me to a night prayer. 
I didn't believe him because I thought he's lying, he's going to other women, he's going to drink, he's maybe going to a disco somewhere. And I got so mad, I was like, whom do you think you are? Who is that friend of yours? He's a liar. How can you tell me you're going to pray? Pray to who the whole night? There is no God who answers prayers. Which God are you going to talk to the whole night? I was so mad. And finally, as he was dressing to go, I was like, okay, I'm dressing, I'm going with you. Actually, I was not going to pray, but I was going to prove them wrong. So his friend came and uh, to pick him up, and I told them I was going with them. Actually, when we reached into the church, that was my first time to see people in a different way. Indeed, we went to church. When we got to the church, oh my God, people were clapping, dancing, jumping up and down, and I was like, wow, where do they get this joy from? It was not only jumping and clapping, but they were testifying about the goodness of the Lord. And I was like, which God are they talking about? We have prayed over five times a day, every day. But this God does not answer prayer. Which God are they talking about here? And you know, it was not only about giving testimonies about that, but even there were some people who had problems. But they were asking that they be prayed for, believing that God was going to answer their prayers. And you know, the whole night, that's how it was moving. The pastor could stand up and preach. So the night was going with the praying, singing, testimonies. So it was around 2 in the morning when the pastor asked if there was yet another person to give a testimony. And my husband raised his hand up and I'm like, you? And I kept whispering and he says, put your hand down. I asked him, are you drunk from yesterday? And he was like, no. But you know, then the pastor said, yes, brother, come. And I'm like, you see what you're causing? They were not calling. They are calling people of this congregation. But he moved in front. I was like, oh my God, what is he going to say? So he came in front and he said, I'm not a Christian. And I was like, then come back. <laughs> you are not, what are you doing there? And then he goes that, but I also want to give my life to Jesus. And the pastor said, praise the Lord. When one sinner trusts Christ, angels in heaven rejoice. So we are going to join angels in heaven over this one sinner who is trusting Christ today. They started playing the drums, dancing. They came, they started hugging him. I was the only one sitting. <laughs> And when he came back, I was like, where are you mocking them? He said, no, I don't want to change. And indeed, I saw a changed husband. I saw a changed man. It was like you are going this direction. You turn and you go this direction. His, his everything changed. He started helping me in the house. You know, sometimes men in Africa, it is the woman's work. Women are like donkeys in their homes. They do cooking. They mop the house. They clean. The man wakes up in the morning. Can I have my shirt? He wants it ironed. Can I have my breakfast? And you know, everything changed this time. My husband was like, he realized that I'm a human being. I'm a wife. You know, he started helping me in the house. And his life was changed. I saw him pray. I saw him read the word. Until one day, my neighbors even asked me, which which doctor did you go to take us there so that we can also take go there and change our husbands? <laughs> I was like, I didn't go to any witch doctor, but he's going to a church. And like we go to churches. I say, I don't know what is special with that church. I don't know. I'm also watching. But anyway, 
After that time, he kept talking to me, kept inviting me. I was not going to church. I was like, I'm a Muslim girl. I can't go to church. But because he had been so good to me after some two months, three months, I one day escorted him to his church. And when I go to church, I loved the choir sing, but I hated the pastor. The pastor preached whatever he said, whatever he talked was like as if he was, it was about me. And after the church service, I was like, um, your church would be good, but your pastor is a bad man. Why did you tell him everything about me so that he could talk about me? And it was like, did he really? I was like, yeah, you know what you told him. That's why you've been inviting me. And he said, actually, I didn't know you were coming. and I didn't know what he was going to preach about. I was like, but the choir was good. And I told him, no, I'm not going back. So after some time, again, I went back, but I was like, once the choir is done singing, I'm out. <laughs> Somehow, after the choir sang, I was in the middle, I stood to go, but I was, you know, I was, I used to be too shy, by the way. But, uh, somehow I stayed. And then the pastor started from where he ended the other week. But that is the time when the Spirit of God started convicting me. I heard when he was preaching, saying, Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. He said, no one goes to the Father except through him. And you know, from that day, continued coming to church to learn more. I started reading the Quran, I started reading the Bible, I started comparing the two. Till one morning, I heard a voice say, if Christ came today, you would be left behind. I remember that one Sunday when my husband had gone for business, that night I never slept, I never slept, I had a sleepless night, I woke up very early in the morning, I was the first to go to church and I told the pastor I want to give my life to Christ. So, when I trusted Christ to me, it was like crossing from the other camp to another camp. The devil put a big writing on my back, wanted. I was on fire. You know, when you trust Christ, you are on fire. Something inside is trying to push you to go and do something. It's burning to tell everybody, tell the Muslims, tell the Catholics, tell everyone about Christ. They need to trust Jesus. And it was during that time when I'm preaching the word like crazy, when I had a sister who was living in western Uganda. AIDS, we have so many people who are losing their lives in Uganda. My sister died of AIDS. She got so sick. And then she passed on. So I went for the funeral. When I reached home, because it is a long way from where I live with my husband to where I'm born, to, it is like almost an 11-hour drive. And I, we didn't have our car. We had to get into this bus, go to Western Uganda. And you know, with the Muslims, when people die, they bury the same day. So by the time I got to my parents' home, I found when they had already buried my sister, but you know, in our culture, when someone dies, so many family members stay there for almost a week to, cons- to be there with the bereaved family, kind of console them. They make this fire outside, and then they stay with the family, and then slowly by slowly they go. But that day, there were almost 70 to 80 people at our home, because that is the day they had buried. I'd just got there. I'm tired. I'm having my two-month-old baby. We are all tired got into the house. Some people are like, oh, Ida, you have come. Sorry, your sister is already buried. After five minutes, I had a fight outside. Men were fighting. And you know when men are fighting? They were really fighting, so many. And I could hear words like, get the knife from his hand. Catch him. 
And all of a sudden, some three men came running to where I was in the house. Where is Ida? I was like, I'm here. They were like, you are the reason why the fight is outside. I'm like, what did I do? He said, because you are not a Muslim. Your father has a knife and he wants to kill you. He said he has just buried his daughter. He wants to bury you also today. And those men you are hearing fighting, they are trying to get the knife from his hand. So leave, 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 go. You are an abomination. I didn't know what to do at that time. Remember, I just trusted Christ for only three months. I was a new believer. I got my baby. It was dark. By then, our village, there was no electricity. I walked and I went to some of our neighbor's house. And they kept me there for a night. The, the lady kept me. She was a Christian. She kept me for a night. And in the morning, I was like, okay, if they don't want me, let me get my baby, go back to my husband. So before I could leave, somehow they knew I'd spend a night at the neighbor's house. So they told me they had a meeting with me, the clan. They wanted to meet me at my uncle's house. So I went to my uncle's house. Sat. When I entered with my baby, I found all these men seated. There was this Muslim leader who actually leads prayers in the mosque. They called them imam, who would be like a pastor. And then all the clan members, like only men, actually our clan leader and some other uncles of mine. But my dad was not there. I could see him going around the house. Why? I don't know. So as I entered the house, there were some, there were no chairs. There were mats in that house. As I was about to sit on the mat, sorry, they told me, don't sit on that one. That one is a holy mat. You are unholy. Sit on the other one. So I sat on the mat, and then they asked me, younger woman, the imam asked me, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah, oh, yes, I'm a Christian now. I believe in Jesus, the son of the most high God. And everyone was like, astagafla, astagafla, you know, that is an Arabic word, something like an abomination, something very, very bad. And you could tell from their face, everyone was so mad at me. Uh, because Muslims, they don't believe that Jesus is the son of God. To them, that's an abomination. And then the imam opened the Quran and he, and he read in Arabic and then he translated and he said, according to the holy Quran, we are supposed to stone you to death. I got my baby and I looked at my baby. I looked outside. I could see my dad going out and I was like, okay, are they going to stone me to death? Is this the end of me? And I looked at my handsome baby. Then finally said, but because our president is a Christian and we have so many Christians in the village, if we do this, we are going to end up in jail. We are not going to do this. But younger lady, listen, we are giving you one month. Go. If you come back to your senses, come back and we bathe you seven times, then to make you clean. If you don't come, know that you're not never going to be part of us. You're going to be under a curse. You'll be bearing children and they will be dying. And when your parents die, never ever come to bury them. Brethren and sisters, the thing that struck me more was if my parents die, I should never go to bury them. I was like, now I'm having this man. And if one time he abandons me, who is going to be there for me? That bothered me because in my culture, burying your parents, however much my dad was a bad man, but he remained my father. I was like, how am I going to stand in not having this relationship between me and my parents, my people? I got confused. I got mixed up. I cried. I left the house because they were like, yeah, meeting at the end, we are done. One month. 
I went by boarded a taxi. By the time I got back to Eastern Uganda, I had made up my mind to leave my husband and go back to my people, to leave Christ and go back to my people because I was like, what am I going to do? So, but again, at the same time, my husband was now good and I was like, how am I going to leave the father of my son and raise my son without a father? But that is the time when I was like, let me wait when he's going to Kenya to do business. I would just pack my things and go. I would not tell him I'm leaving. I'll just leave a note. So as I was one day packing, leaving, I heard a voice. And the voice was telling me, read the Bible. I was like, who are you? I opened the Bible at random. And what I read was, I did not come to bring peace. I was like, who are you? I read it was like, I'm, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring separation between this. I did not even know the book I was reading, but I was just, was like open and zoo. That's what I read. I ran out crying and my neighbors asked me what's wrong. They entered into the house to see where, where the problem is coming from. They didn't see anybody except the baby on the bed. And they were like, what's happening? I could not even talk, but I was hearing someone telling me, you are not done. Go back and read. I opened the Bible the second time. And I, there was no bookmark. I opened the same page, the same everything. And I went back to the same verse. I did not come to bring peace. I continued reading the Bible. And then the scriptures were telling me that if you disown me before men, I'll disown you before my father in heaven. And at that time, that's when I said, okay, God, you win. My parents lose. From that day, I continued following my God. I stopped parking, I sat, I smiled, and I said, whatever it takes, God, I'm yours, I'm going to follow you. So that is the reason why we are going everywhere, telling everyone that preaching the gospel to people like me, there are so many people out there in Africa. There are so many idols in Uganda. There are so many idols in Kenya and in Tanzania. In the world, who needed someone like Lewis to come to them and preach the gospel and bring life and bring hope and bring a change. That's why I'm standing here today. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 18 that when the Spirit of God come upon you, you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the famous parts of the world. When we trusted Christ, me and my husband, after some time, he became a pastor. I'm not going to go through that because that is, going, again, another long story. <laughs> and then we read this scripture, which is saying that when the Spirit of God come upon you, come upon who? All those who have believed. Come upon who? All those people who are sitting here in Calvary Chapel, when the Spirit of God come upon you, you will be my witness. Sometimes my husband tells people that when, if there was no work for us here on earth, God will have saved us and take us direct home. The reason why we are still here is because we have work to do. Ask yourself a question. Have you done what you are supposed to do? There is a reason why God is still keeping you. The reason is to go all over the world. If one sinner comes to Christ, angels in heaven rejoice. 
That's why the Bible says in Second Timothy that this is good and it pleases God our Savior that everyone can get saved. God doesn't want to see people die in their sins. He says he'd rather see us repent and turn to him. So when we read this scripture, we started preaching the gospel. My husband, through God's grace, he went to a Bible college. That is also another story. And when he came back, this is actually the scripture he read to me. And he said, Ida, we are ready to go. God is calling us to plant 200 churches. And I'm like, really? And he said, it is going to start in Jerusalem. And this is our Jerusalem. We started, he said, every Sunday, I remember him announcing to the church, and he said, every Sunday we are going to divide ourselves into two. Sunday after church, go home, eat, come back. We are going to divide ourselves into two. We are going to start in our Jerusalem. All these houses around. So we started preaching the gospel every Sunday evening, and we saw the church growing, and we saw the church growing, and we were like, wow. Then he said, now we have finished all these houses. This is our Jerusalem. Now where? Judea. We went to the next village. We went to a third village, and people started coming, and our church was getting so full. But then, we were not having any support. We did not have anyone to come alongside us to help us with this work. That's why the Bible says that the harvest is in plenty, but the laborers are few. We, 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 we realized that really there was a lot of harvest in the villages. And we started praying, and we were like, God, you need to do something about this. So that's how we came up with some brothers who came and visited us from where Phil Nobi was going to church. And when they came, we told them our vision of preaching the gospel. So we started preaching the gospel, and we have seen it work. We have seen thousands turn to Christ. Yes, Christ is not back yet. Do you know why? Because most people, some people have not heard about the gospel. And we who are here today, we are the people who are going to go there and tell them, ask yourself a question. Since you trusted Christ, since you know this good news, how many people have you shared with this good news? You can share this good news through many ways. If you are too old, you cannot go support the other one who has your legs. The man who preached to us the gospel, after some time, he, got, he, he was sick, he had diabetes. He was diabetic, and he was admitted in the hospital. We went to visit him. His name was Louis. When we visited him, we found when they had already cut both his legs. He looked at us and asked with a smile, and I was like, wow, Louis, you can smile. Can you imagine with no legs, but you can still smile? That is what the Lord does to us. He looked at us and he said, how many churches are planted now? By then, we had planted 10 churches. We told him 10. He said, Ida and Morris, look, I came to your house with the legs. Now I don't have legs. But I will get them when I, I get to heaven very soon. And he said, now you have my legs and the ball is in your hands. Go. Continue with the good work. When he died, I told Morris, this is my Paul. He has fought a good fight. He has gone to receive the crown. The seed he planted in me germinated. It is still producing. 
Right now, as I talk, we have so far planted 125 churches between Uganda, Kenya, and Tanzania. But there are still so many people out there. Every, you, it's amazing that everywhere we go, there are still so many people who have not heard about the gospel. There are still so many cults out there. Recently in Uganda, there's this man who raised, I was, while I was here, he said, he, he stood up one morning and he said he's God. He has got thousands of believers right now. He's calling himself a God who has created the heaven and the earth. But you know what is amazing? One woman stood up and said, my God prayed for me and I got better and I was like, wait a minute. God praying to who? People are dying, people are getting lost because they need someone to go out there. And that's why the Bible says, Hallelujah. That's why the Bible says that, how can they hear unless one is a saint? Hmm? How? How can they hear unless one is sent? And how will they believe if they have not heard? There's no way they are going to believe unless they they hear. Hear from who? From us. And then how can they hear without someone preaching to them? That is in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 15. Sisters and brothers, the harvest in Africa is in plenty, but the laborers are few. We are not only doing church planting. With the church planting, we thought there is no, like I said, how will they hear unless one is sent? And who is that person you are going to send unless he is trained? Because before, like Jesus said that we should not worry what we are going to say because it's going to be with us. The people we send, we train them. We have opened up a Bible college where we are training our pastors before we send them. So with the Bible college, after we train a training of three years, then we send them. Once we send them, that is how we are spreading the gospel. Continue praying that the Lord of the harvest send laborers. Continue praying for us that God may provide money to run this Bible college because it is the backbone of what we are doing. Without the, back, without the Bible college, there is no way we are going to send because what are they going to teach that they don't know of? We are not only doing Bible college. God has also called us in Uganda, like I told you, Uganda is almost the size of Texas with a population of 36 million people. And out of the 36 million people right now, 5 million children are orphaned children because of their parents who have died of AIDS. We start, it all started in our home that some members were dying, and then we ended up having many children in our home. Actually, right now I have 16 children that I'm keeping who are, live, who are, who are living on the streets. We have started up a children's home called Grace International Children's Foundation where we are keeping 130 children, getting them from the street, getting them from scavenging, getting them from eating in garbage, giving them a hope, and mainly teaching them about Christ. We have seen this work. 
We started this 17 years ago. We started up this home 17 years ago. And I'm happy to tell you that some of our children are going to be graduating this year from the university. The first batch that we had. That is good. But most important, they have grown knowing the Lord. Because the Bible says, raise the children, that we should grow our children in the fear of the Lord. Anyway, all in all, we are here to invite you. Sincerely look at your life. Look at your legs. The Bible says, happy are the feet of those, blessed are the feet of those who carry the good news. If you have never preached the gospel anywhere, even maybe in America here, sometimes you with your people are not open to the gospel, you knock on the doors, they are not opening for you, start where the door is open. Come to Kenya, like the pastor was saying, it looks like it's a long distance. Well, I want to thank Papa Chuck. Every year she, they come, I'm like, wait a minute, are they coming again this year? Yes. When you start it, you really want to continue. Because you know when you see these souls, one day when you get to heaven, you will see them. As I end, I have a story. There's a younger lady who came to our country to preach the gospel. Her name was Catherine. And as a Catherine went from house to house, evangelism, she found this old man of 70 years old and preached to him the gospel. This man had never heard about the gospel. He gave his life to Christ and was like, where have you been? I didn't know this. Thank God that he kept me to hear this before I die. The old man was so happy that in our villages, people keep chicken. You will find chickens roaming around, and you know our chickens are very smart. And it's, they are very, very smart in a way that you will find so many chickens roaming around, but in the evening, every chicken knows where they come from. The people don't feed them, but in the evening, every chicken goes back to their homes. You will never see a chicken going in a wrong house. No. They will walk together, roam around the village looking for food, but then in the evening every chicken go to where they, they, they come from. And this old man was so happy, they treasure their chicken, because those chickens, that is their income, that is where they get their school fees for their children, when there is a problem, they sell. So he picked this chicken, he sent his children to go and look around for the chicken, his grandchildren, they ran around the village, go to this rooster, and brought it and told Catherine, since you are not eating a meal in my house, you have given me the best, I give you also the best I have. He got this rooster, he was giving it to this American girl. And you know, with American girls, you have not raised, you have not taught them to handle these birds, live ones. She was like, oh, what do I do with it? What do I do with this one? So she had a translator and she was like, can you hold it for me? They brought it and the following day I fixed it for their lunch. I told her, this is your chicken from me. I said, oh, why did you eat it? I said, it's for eating. <laughs> but the story did not end there. After two years, she came back to preach the gospel. They planted a church, and one evening I was like, oh, we are taking you back to the other church you planted two years ago. We want you to visit that church. So when we visited the church where they, they visited, they were two years ago, as we were entering, there was this old man sitting in the back, was able to recognize Catherine. 
he looked at her, he saw her, she was not even remembering him. Because when you come, you will talk to about 100 and something people in a week. This man was able to recognize Catherine. Actually, as we were entering, this guy was like, oh my God, Catherine, Catherine, he came running and hugged Catherine. And Catherine was like, okay. She was like, I think he knows me since he's calling my name. You know, it's funny when someone is calling you by name. I was like, who are you? I'm glad she didn't say that. She was like, I think he knows me. And she, he was like, do you remember me? Do you remember when you came to my home and I give you, a, I gave you a rooster? She was like, oh, yes, yes, I remember. I even have that picture on my refrigerator at home in America. He told her, yes, because you came to my house, and preached to me, this is now my church. My wife was not around, and some of my grandchildren, I preached to them the gospel too. Are you seeing all those people in the back? That's my family. I also brought them to Christ. And when they were hugging and talking all this, I was picturing it, when we get back to heaven, when someone will say, because you spend your money, because you used your feet wisely because you used your time wisely. I've made it to heaven. Thank you so much. That's what I was seeing. And he told her, because you came, if I don't see you again, we shall meet in heaven. That old man died a year after. And I know he's looking forward to meet Catherine one day. Thank you so much for listening to me. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share. May God bless you as you think about the lost soul. Thank you. Are you going to teach us a song? Yeah, one song. <laughs> We've got a, a, an African song that Ida's going to lead us in. Yeah, I would have taught you a song in our language, but uh, because of time, I was like, no, they won't get it fast. <laughs> and uh, I said, we are going to sing this song. It's in English. It, ha- it says that who has the final say? Sincerely, sisters and brothers, Jehovah has the final say Amen. in our lives. He has our destination. He has our everything. So the song says, who has the final say? When I say, who has the final say? Then you say, Jehovah has the final say. Do you believe Jehovah has the final say? Yes. And then that is the first part. The second part says uh, that Jehovah turns my life around. Jehovah turns my life around. He makes the way where there is no way. Jehovah has the final say. Are you getting it? Yes, yes that's okay. the second part. Let me, let me tell you one thing, though. African worship is lively. Exactly. So stand up. Woo! Come on. Thank you. Yes, in Africa. I remember when Morris was here a couple of years ago, and he heard us worship. He goes, oh, no, you, you need to get some energy going. Ah, yes, exactly. You know the reason why we do that? When I look behind, where God has got me, there's no way I can sing with my hands folded. It's like, is that really joy? No. So we sing, we clap. 
and we dance sometimes. <laughs> if you can, it's good to dance, actually, to dance for who? To dance for the Lord. David danced for the Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, yes David danced for the Lord. Until actually this lady thought, wait a minute, why did you disguise yourself? And I was like, I don't care. So long as I'm dancing for the Lord. Hallelujah. So, who has the final say? Jehovah has the final say. I say, who has the final say? Jehovah. I say, who has the final say? Jehovah has the final say. Jehovah has the final say. Jehovah has the final say. Who has the final say? Jehovah has the final say. Oh, Jehovah turns my life around. Jehovah turns my life around. He makes the way where there is no way. Jehovah has the final say. Jehovah turns my life around. Jehovah turns my life around. He makes the way where there is no way. Jehovah has the final say. I say, who has the final say? Jehovah has the final say. Oh, who has the final answer? Jehovah has the final say. Jehovah turns my life around. Jehovah turns my life around. He makes the way where there is no way. Jehovah has the final say. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Have a seat, everybody. We'll go over a couple of things here. One of the things that we look for, that I look for with ministries with uh, that we choose to support as a church is simply fruit. And I am just blown away at the fruit in uh, Morris and Ida's ministry and the, the people that are part of that. This is not just a, a... When I was doing outreach in Mexico for, gosh, 10 years, uh, I remember one time I became very critically aware of the fact that we would go do these outreaches and there just wasn't a lot of follow-up. And it's like, you know, are, are the people just making an emotional decision and then they're gone? In this ministry, by the time that the team gets there this summer, the property will have been purchased, the building will have been built, and when they go out and evangelize, part of what wraps up their trip is seeing the Lord fill the church for their very first service. They already have a pastor that's been trained. We don't have follow-up from the American side here. Our job is to go and evangelize. Because as I mentioned, God has given us great favor with these people. And yet, when it's done, they... uh, I've seen the photos from the last couple of trips. The churches... I mean, people are coming, backing out the front door. 
uh, it's packed. And so uh, this is a significant ministry. It's a very fruitful ministry. And I would encourage you, pray. There are goers. And pray, the Lord. And one of the things, too, is that very often the first thing that happens in our minds as we consider things like this is all the reasons why not. No, I don't have the money. God does. Well, I don't have the time. Really? It's true, folks. We'll build our lives around the things that are important to us. And uh, I just want to encourage you, be open to the moving, the leading of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, is that me? Is that something you want me to do? Is that something? And I might be the most unlikely candidate. Guess what? You're in good company. As we study God's word, we see a whole host of unlikely candidates that are powerfully used of God and that fruit comes from those ministries. So there are goers and uh, I know Chuck and Joanne are going. Perhaps you are, and we don't know it yet. But uh, there, there are goers. There are also senders. One of the things that we do is we get behind the people that God's touched their hearts to send. And, and you can support them financially. There's a bunch of envelopes out on the front there where Chuck has a, a letter. It's a support letter. Uh, people raise up their own support. But I've never seen that stop the work of God. Uh, God's faithful. So uh, there's there are ways to do that. When we get closer, we're going to do a 24-hour prayer thing for the team as they're gone. And, and uh, you know, we'll sign up on that. And one of the things that we've heard the last couple of years is they're so blessed knowing that 24-7, I call it wheels up to wheels down, from the time they leave till the time they get back, that, that we have people between our church and, and another church in the community here are praying for them. So uh just wanted to encourage you. There's also one last thing <clears throat> that uh, I wanted to bring up is on March 14th at uh, the Tiger Foursquare Church, uh, there's going to be, a, a, it's a no charge evangelism seminar. It, this is required for people that are going, but it's open to everybody. If you want to learn how to share the gospel, you want to learn how to share your faith in a very simple, concise format, um, this is, it's for you. It, it's, this is a great, uh, uh, seminar. I attended the one two years ago and it's really good. It's very informative. And, and again, it's just a biblical approach to sharing your faith. So, uh, Ida, thank you so much for coming and. <laughs>